Dave's Fault Podcast. Woot launching. Yeah, now. Time now. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So this is a slightly more uh, awake version of the show. Yes. I mean, <laughs> maybe not as alive. That was an interesting last episode, but... Yeah, no, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Yeah, I don't know if that's possible. I enjoyed it pretty pretty good. Uh, <laughs> I know you did too. <laughs> Tell us how the numbers are later. Every time we do a podcast and we finish recording, like it's definitely not a numbers game, Father Stephen. Oh no, it's definitely not. Like I worry, like <laughs> that's the last episode of the show right there. Yeah. No one, and they all stopped listening. <laughs> <laughs> they, they died somehow. It's not, I, yeah, no. There's always a cause. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's no effect ever without a cause. The uh... mm. <laughs> true. Oh no, it just stops suddenly. <laughs> Every action has an equal opposite reaction. Does it? I mean, yeah, everything's well. I mean, hang on a sec. Don't let's not get deeply philosophical here. No, no effect ever exceeds its cause. That's a, a fact. Okay, I'm just quoting Newton. Yeah, but it's know? not perfect. <laughs> it's physics. Oh gosh. Listen, okay. Man. Laws of physics are important. Okay, those things. These things help us be tied to nature. Right. And help and us be tied to nature. No, no. But I mean, don't live out. Don't live a disordered life. What? Okay. I'm actually, I have nothing against like Newtonian physics. I'm just saying. Good. <laughs> so those are, it's usually pretty right. It's clearly not heresy. It's it's clearly not dogma either. It's. I'm just saying, like when you start. Are we really going to talk about like friction, like I whatever we can the uh, not like even like figurative friction, like the kind we're having right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, yeah. you're like you're treading friction on my relationships. Yeah, you're treading on my engineering what's the, dreams. Uh, what's the what's the friction coefficient between Father Stephen and Deacon Dan? Jeez, anger. <laughs> <laughs> is that a constant or is uh, that a, is, that, is that a variable? A semi, it's a variable. It's a variable. Honestly. Okay, good. Yeah. Oh man, you're talking to two ex-engineers, sort of. Yeah, sort of, kind of, kind sort of. of. I went to an engineering school and I got a bachelor's in science, but I majored in international and strategic history. How does that make sense? I took a lot of credits. Go to West Point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I'm half an engineer. I got halfway through Purdue. <laughs> I'm half so, an engineer. Yeah. I still got a little bit of a brain for it. Oh. Every now and then. In this rectory, we obey the laws of thermodynamics. <laughs> Someone's got to. Oh. And entropy, I think, is what's happening right now. Uh, well, the breakdown, um, yeah. yeah. That's a fact. I don't think we're running out of steam. I think we're just getting started. Yeah, but the universe is expanding. That doesn't mean it's not chaotic so sometimes. This podcast. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> Our anyway, podcast ex- is expanding. I told despite, you it's not a numbers game. Despite the increase of sleep, the uh, the content still seems to be kind of raging. But that's yeah, right. you know, whatever uh, rage. Isn't that the first word of? Um, oh, isn't it the? What? It's one of the classics. Isn't Call rage? Me Ishmael? <laughs> no, rage. Isn't that the first word of like the Odyssey or the Aeneid or something like that? Dude, if that's how they got that party started, no wonder it's a classic. I you know what? I can't remember which one it is. Oh man, I'm sorry, Mrs. Brush. Do you know Mrs. what? Mrs. Brush was my my ancient literature teacher. Is it the Odyssey Center. or the Iliad? And you can't figure out which one. I it can't. Is? I, yeah, I can't remember which one it is. Do you know anyway. the definition of a classic? Is a book everyone's heard of and no one's read, <laughs> uh, unless you've gone to seminary. Unless you've gone to seminary, then you actually have read these books. Oh, have you? I mean, yeah. I, I actually, I well, think I did okay. read The Odyssey. To be fair, to be fair, I'm sure Preethi at the Mount was probably different than than college seminary oh, yeah, on, no, on that regard. Reading a ton of philosophy and stuff. Well, well right. But at, at the same time, 
at the same time that we were reading philosophy, we were also we were also reading uh, like the same periods literature to kind of give us like the literary context of the time. Yeah. Oh, you've mentioned this before, right? So, so I mean, you would, we would read things from ancient philosophy, everything from Plato and Aristotle, but we would also read like the Iliad and the Odyssey, mm-hmm. and then you'd go forward and you hit the moderns and all that kind of stuff. That's you cool. Know, you, medieval, madon, mm-hmm. medieval, medieval, medieval. <laughs> Maybe we, ah, the, maybe, maybe the we sleep. period, yes. Yeah. The lesser known. <laughs> Always living in the medieval shadow. <laughs> it's immediately following the Dark Ages, but not quite out of them. Right. Um, the medieval yeah. period. The medieval. Yes. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway, oh, man. You ever yeah. think, like, if they had written Moby Dick, uh, like, in, in this century or, or just in, like, the later past one, like, the late 20th century? There would have been like a sequel, and it would have been like Ishmael's revenge, oh, and like, geez. and he would return of the Ishmael, and he would get the whale. Like that's <laughs> <laughs> speaking of classics that everyone's heard of, but no one's read. I've never read that. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, it's it's have massive. you read Moby Dick? I've read part of it. Okay, and okay. it is gigantic. Yeah, and you set it aside to read Solzhenitsyn. I. I am 800 pages into 1,200 pages of that. Oh, man. That's oh, no, crazy. no. Is it 1,200? No, it's it's 1,800. My it's problem is ridiculous. I'm one of those losers who will read like 10 books at a time. So, well, I mean, like, a, I mean, what, it's so only, I'm probably like a couple hundred pages into like, you know, 10,000 pages worth of reading. You only lose if you don't finish. <laughs> and God, you know, will hold you accountable. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you started oh, I reading. See, I see you got 12 chapters into the Silmarillion and, and you had not finish you quit. it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, to be, to be fair, so, so did Tolkien. <laughs> <laughs> mm. I don't know about that. Didn't he die before he finished it? Well, so here's, Son finished the, it? here's the thing: like, it's not so much. It's it not was so his much notes. that he right. It's not so much yeah. that he died before he finished it. It's it's that he never necessarily. He he may have intended to write something more full and and like publish that, but it seems that Christopher Tolkien was the one who compiled a lot of these things and made them into, you know, um, cohesive stories. Not good for him. The only, I think, because I'm pretty sure the only ones that, that J.R.R. Tolkien actually put out... Was his, Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. Yeah, just those two. And then everything else was just sort of scattered writings that Christopher put together. Although so. he might, again, it seems very likely that in one of the, I think it's the New Jerusalem Bible translation, Tolkien did the translation for the Book of Job. Yeah. Well, so, so Tolkien uh, was a philologist. So he was a st- he was a study of studier of languages, a philologist right? from the medieval period. Yeah, not quite, not quite. But he was he was most uh, eloquent in the order of um, like ancient English. So like so like old English and and the English languages. Right. Isn't Beowulf written in old English? Right. So actually, Tolkien did a translation of Beowulf. Oh, cool. Yeah. So that's one of the, that's one of the translations you can get out there. He also did. Um, uh, Orfeo and Sir Gawain and the Green Knight oh, nice. and Pearl and so a lot of those like medieval like uh, you know Arthurian legend kind of stuff mm-hmm. he's involved with that yeah yeah he wrote a lot of stuff he he wrote much more than just the Lord of the Rings um, he was a prolific writer and which is the reason why Christopher his son was able to put put together so much like there are so many other books that have been published because of Christopher's work with all of his father's stuff because I mean. Tolkien just wrote. I mean, he just wrote so much, you know. Which is, I mean, part of the game. He's like the the Nicolas Cage of writers. <laughs> if I'm in seventy movies except, over thirty years, except good, <laughs> you know, except good. Uh, he's a ninety five percent of every movie ever produced. 
I think that was an SNL thing. <laughs> Whatever. Someone God was bless imperson- Nicolas Cage. Had someone impersonating uh, Nicolas Cage, and they also had Nicolas Cage on. So it was like he and himself sitting there talking to each other. And it was, that's hilarious. It was, I love it when they do that. Oh, Nick. Yeah, Nick Cage for all of his. Um, well, I won't say that, but uh, <laughs> he has his moments. He has his moments. <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving on. Uh, okay, so we're gonna we're gonna jump to a completely. Remember how I said I was scared the podcast was on its last episode? I I told you entropy was what was happening. That is um, now. Okay, so we're we're actually not talking about that particular uh, inkling today. We're talking about the different inkling. We're the other famous this, inkling. Yeah, well, that's true. I mean, there were more than more than two, but so only I'm told, but nobody knows their names. Only know of two. Again, if it was a band, it would be called like. Tolkien Lewis and the Inklings. <laughs> it's kind of true. It's kind of true. Christopher was an honorary Inkling, but uh, they only know him because of his father, basically. Yeah. So, although he was a good author in his own right. Anyway, so we're jumping over to C.S. Lewis again. We're returning the Screw Tape letters. Ah, return. Yes, it's been a little while. Screw Tape's so, revenge. Kinda. <laughs> I mean, he does. He does pick on. Uh, right, it's Screw Tape. Yeah, Uncle Screw Tape is right, right into Wormwood. So. Screwtape is writing once again to his nephew, Wormwood. Remember the context of this. This is, okay, for those of you who may not have listened to previous episodes, C.S. Lewis is writing this this book of letters. You're only hearing one side of the conversation. Uncle Screwtape is writing to his nephew, Wormwood, who is a, a junior tempter in, you know, the hierarchy of hell. And lowerarchy. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Uh and and that's actually kind of comes out a little bit here too. Um and Screwtape seems to be someone who's sort of in the uh I guess we would call them higher ups in our language, but using that particular mentality, it'd be lower downs mm-hmm. of the <laughs> in the pits of hell. So but anyway, talking about like what it is that the devils think through on the order of tempting men into evil. Mm-hmm. And they're very subtle. Uh, we're going to start looking at some of the subtlety of the devils and then demons. Um, because behind every evil, even sort of remote or um, perhaps not as heavy of evils as like, you know, uh, I don't know, mass murder or genocide, that kind of stuff. Like okay. there are every, every simple evil is still driven by some sort of demonic work. Right. Right. I mean, that's that's the source of every evil in the world. So, anyway, let's just get into it a little bit. Because he starts off um, basically calling <laughs> calling Wormwood out for being sort of amateurish in his tempting. Mm-hmm. And you can see just, like, the cruelty of demons, you know, uh, even between each other. Like, they hate oh, each yeah, other. Oh, yeah, there's no friendship here. No. The right. devil maintains his kingdom through straight-up force, right. and you know he's in charge because he's the strongest, and that's why everybody else falls in line. Right, right. So, so Wormwood has written to his uncle Screwtape saying, "Hey, your suggestion about getting him to like you know pray for his mother in this sort of way didn't work out. So, what do you got? What else you got me for me, Uncle Screwtape? Mm-hmm. Uncle Screwtape's like, don't write that way." To someone who what don't he you take that. Down well, he with he me. says that a junior tempter shouldn't write that to an undersecretary of the of a department. <laughs> That's what he says. So, yeah, uh, he's saying, "Listen, I'm a, I'm higher up in rank than you. You're lucky I'm your uncle. Otherwise, I'd just you know I wouldn't even be talking to you." Yeah, right. Exactly. So he says, "You must." Uh, 
It also reveals an unpleasant desire to shift responsibility. You must learn to pay for your own blunders. And of course, like it's all about unjust judgment. Oh yeah, no, know? it's all about authority. And again, in, when Screwtape finds himself on the wrong end of certain demons, like he does the same thing Wormwood does. Like, but this is, but he's on top right now, and so you know you're going to eat the dirt kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, even. So yeah, I shouldn't say even, especially in hell, like this is this is the source of like cruelty and unjust punishment. Just right. just like yeah, sort of crazy. Once you're there, you know what I mean. So <laughs> hopefully not. <laughs> well, no, because because like in a, to a certain degree, someone who gets sent there, like it is the just punishment. Oh know? yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. I, I mean, hopefully our listeners don't know what hell is like firsthand. <laughs> yeah. Well, sure. <laughs> Right. So anyway, <laughs> but I just mean, but we, we you know, we refer to the devil as the, as the accuser. Right, you know? right. And he's a liar. He's the prince of lies. He's got a lot so, of titles, but yeah. yeah. So Murderer anyway. from the first. Right, exactly. Not your best friend. No, no, don't. So anyway, yeah. so the demons are, are, are picking at each other, basically. And then, but what's, what's the meat and potatoes of it all? Right. So Screwtape eventually gets into this whole, whole idea of what, what does prayer really look like for, for man? And what are we, what are we as demons going to do? Uh, to keep him from really doing that well, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so he says, "This your patient must be persuaded to aim at something entirely spontaneous, inward, informal, and unregular, unregularized." He's supposed to remember or think he remembers the parrot-like nature of his prayers in childhood. Mm-hmm. So. You're trying to keep the man from having any sort of, like, actual deep and meaningful conversation with the Lord. Like, so many people get bogged down in the idea that prayer is just to say your prayers and then go to bed. Or, you know, go do a holy hour. Okay, I went and prayed, well, a rosary only took 20 minutes, so I prayed three rosaries. Okay, well, did you, like, meditate on the mysteries of the rosaries when you did that? No, I just said the prayers. It's like, well, that's problematic, you know. It, it can be. I mean, there is merit to be said from from merit to be gained in a certain sense from like turning to the rosary even if you were completely distracted the entire time. That's not what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. But but to be in a situation where it's like you set aside time to go and pray the rosary and you never have any sort of intentional diving deeper into uh, and into sort of a, a little bit more of a use of intellect, mm-hmm. um, diving into the meditation. You know what I mean? Well, it's just, th- just sort of the rote prayer. There, there are three yeah. different types of prayer. You have your vocal, and you have your contemplative, and, and you have your well, unitive. Mm-hmm. And the goal, and I, I once was talking to a brother seminarian, Tim Mergen. I wonder if you ever met him. Did you ever meet Tim? I did meet Tim one time. Okay, but- cool. Yeah. Cool dude. Uh, we got along pretty good. He's in Italy right now, um, <laughs> getting his licentiate. Uh, he'll be back soon in Wisconsin, mm. the land of cheese. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> among other things, for those I'm of sure. you who forgot, <laughs> no one ever forgets. Yeah. No one ever forgets yeah. Wisconsin. <laughs> when are they going to stop talking about that? If the state had a personality, anyways. But the. Uh, <laughs> It was like one time, all the time. Oh my gosh. But he said that, that uh, his bishop told him, who was his bishop? 
Was it Morlino? I think it was Morlino at that Morlino point. Morlino at that time said, yeah. he said, by the God time you come him. out of seminary, he said, you should have, you should be capable of, of contemplative prayer. He says, it's not like per se an option. And there are, are certain bishops who in, in Africa, as I understand it, uh, will not ordain men who don't experience some level of charism of the Holy Spirit mm. because they want their men to be deeply spiritual, their priests to be deeply spiritual. Right. And again, I know the majority of people out there listening to this probably aren't clerics but uh, or religious, but right. still, but what kind of relationship do you want? And if it just remains on the surface... Um, you know, can you say that's better than nothing? Yeah. Can you say that, well, then maybe you weren't trying as hard as you could? Probably. Again, it's not really, and there, there's the rub too, is it's, you can't force yourself to have a relationship with God. You can't say, well, now I'm just going to concentrate on all five mysteries of the rosary. Well, you should be open to it, and you should mm-hmm. be, quote unquote, trying. But again, that's my other side of it too, is don't beat yourself up if you're still struggling with your prayers. Right. St. Therese, the little flower, did all the time. She said, oftentimes I fall asleep during my holy hours. And she says, I have to trust that I had the best intentions, mm-hmm. and sometimes things just don't go as planned, and that the good Lord understands my intention, right. and, and is utilizing that anyways, too. And I think I think something that kind of happens to a, a lot of people when they're sort of first introduced to prayer is they're just sort of ignorant of... Uh, like the deeper realities that that could be a part of their life of prayer, mm-hmm. you know, and and some of this just needs to be taught. Like, hey, okay, here are some methods that the saints have come up with to sort of enter into that mystery of prayer. Um, you know, that that sort of very simple image of like the Lord is already having the conversation. You're just you just need to start paying attention. Right. Uh, it's yeah. It's it's a it's a beautiful thing. It's an important thing. Um, and as a, re- a bit of a rebuttal to what you just said. Like, <laughs> yeah, 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 I reject. Well, no, no, it's no. all good, but no, here's no. the thing. No, but, but, <laughs> but it is important to what? say, like, the Lord doesn't want someone who's lukewarm, mm-hmm. right? So it's, it is almost worse to, once you've been, once you've been introduced to a, um, like, sort of a way of prayer or, you know, like, the possibility of, of real contemplation or at least meditation in scripture or that kind of thing. And you and you kind of don't do it just so you can continue the way of your sort of childish prayers, mm-hmm. um, you know, to, to, the, to the exclusion of contemplation. I think that's almost worse than than not having had anything at all at all to begin with. It's it's there's there's a, there's, a ba- there's, there's a balance there. There's there is a balance, a balance. There. but and anyway. there's a difference between childish and childlike. So. It's true. It's true. But I think I think when people get to a certain point in adulthood, like. It it becomes a bit childish to not, on occasion, have have as a part of your prayer life some deeper delving, you know. Well, it can't but, be avoided unless you are trying to avoid it. Is my is my sure. personal take on it. Sure, right. All right, what but else? but anyway, so we continue. Um, well, one of the other things that was sort of interesting about that, like he must be persuaded, or he may be persuaded to aim at something entirely spontaneous, inward, and formal, unregularized. And what this will actually mean to a beginner will be an effort to produce in himself mm-hmm. a vaguely devotional mood in which real concentration of will and intelligence have no part. And he, then he goes on to quote uh, a poet, Coleridge. 
Coleridge has recorded that he did not pray, quote, with moving lips and bended knees, but merely composed his spirit to love and indulged a sense of supplication. In other words, you have someone here in Coleridge who was, in a certain sense, spiritual, but not religious. Mm, now, My favorite line. Right. Well, that's one of those lines. That I think most people, when they say that line, they mean they have some sort of a level of introspection that they do, um, or maybe they even do reach out to God spiritually in some sort of some sort of an interior prayer, but like they don't go to church. What I think I might use those same words and mean it slightly differently mm-hmm. is that this, you know, Colbridge is trying to say something on the order of, like, I'm spiritual in insofar as I, like, just sort of orient my mood in a spiritual way, but I don't give – on the order of religion, religion being a sub-virtue of justice, what is owed to God. Right. Right. So, in this sense, spiritual in that I'm making myself have some sort of the same sort of emotional – bent as I would, maybe, if I entered into a real experience of prayer. There is a distinct possibility of mistaking your emotions and feelings for prayer. Right. And there is... Now, can your emotions and feelings be connected to prayer? Oh, yeah. Almost certainly they can be. Oh, and they're going to be. And they're going to be. Go read the Psalms. The, uh, that's put, all about emotional but don't put connection. The cart, but don't put the cart before the horse. Well, exactly. And right. the idea is, well, I have a that the, there's the danger of saying I'm going to achieve unitive prayer on my own, mm. and which is really almost it's a an sin of Satan. Yeah, and because you can't achieve when you go into ecstasy, that's God reaching out to you, and and suddenly you're immersed in the divine, and you you can get this funny idea in your head. Well, then that's what I'm aiming at. Well, it is, but at the same time, you're yeah. like, well, then how do I achieve it? And you're like, well. I understand what like a sort of physical ecstasy is. I know what it's like to feel good. And so you actually can have a reasonable control over your emotions. So you go to an image or something about, I don't know, that, that time you won a baseball game, we'll say. And, you know, you hit the winning home run. Good for you. Uh, but But now, like, you're like, and this feeling is God. And so you rest in that. Because that must be what God is like, and so suddenly the feeling becomes God, and suddenly you're just drifting on on the cloud of your own success, and and that means you uh, now I'm ordered to love you see because love feels good, mm. and and this feels good, ergo, I have love, and yeah. and you have completely ceased to pray, brothers and sisters. Right now again, and this is not to because there are different ways every. Every potential way away from God is a potential way to God. That's why God even allows temptation, because in resisting temptation, you draw close to him. And it's possible to to start, and again, I think I've told this story once before. I was in prayer in a holy hour, and I, had, I hadn't just watched, but within several months, I'd recently watched The Winter Soldier, Marvel movie. <laughs> I honestly think it's the best one out there. Oh, wow. Um, as far as just like a singular contained movie goes, which is funny because you sort of need the background of Captain America for it all. Anyway, point is, I I got subtract, subtract, holy smoke, madavel, and I got, what was the word I was looking for? Shoot. I got sidetracked. I got sidetracked. Subtract. 
<laughs> Madavel. See, who needs the poor English, man? Speaking Jeez. of speaking of sidetracked. Oh, the poor English language. I'm getting back to the point, which I'm was I lost the point in prayer, and suddenly I found myself just remembering scenes from that movie. <laughs> I was going on for maybe about mm, ten minutes. Yeah. Okay. So what did I do? Was I? Oh, you know, whoops. So I quickly apologized to God, but then I quickly redirected my mind through that into things like virtue and fraternity and and elements of that movie that have virtuous aspects and self-sacrifice and courage, things like that. And from there, I was able to leapfrog back into a conversation with God. So everything has a potential use, including your victorious baseball game. But the danger is, and as a God's merciful God, you know, he's like, look at my... Poor, stupid son, Stephen, there, struggling to stay <laughs> focused on me, who's literally in front of him. He's thinking about a movie. Simon, are you asleep? Yeah, no, kind of. Yeah, kind of. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine that's what he said. Kind of. K- kind of. Oh, what's going on? But the... Um, <laughs> but from there, you can you can get back, because he never leaves you alone. Right. Yeah. But... but but to be lost in the in the feeling of the baseball game mm-hmm. is to sort of have abandoned your prayer and to have become self-centered. Right. To a certain to a certain degree on on the sort of human level about prayer, like there is a balance between understanding um how how those human human parts of us are involved in our prayer versus how much like it's completely dependent on God. Yeah, you know, because it, it's 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 very much sort of a we are we actually as human beings are sort of a an icon of that reality because we are a, a, a body soul composite. We have both these things together, mm-hmm. and it can't they can't really be separated from each other. They can't really be divorced from one another. So, so like to a certain degree, you know, your emotions are going to be a part of your prayer, but but like your prayer can't be for the sake of emotion. You know, um, and then in the same way, and actually, <laughs> Screwtape makes some sort of a chiding remark about about human beings. And this, he says, they they frequently forget that that their bodies are an important part of the prayer too. Mm-hmm. Like kneeling, there's a very different experience in prayer, sitting in your lazy boy, kicked back, you know, whatever, being all comfortable versus being on your knees. Mm-hmm. And anybody who has, you know, had the experience of, you know, maybe praying at home, sort of in the comfort of their own home versus praying in the church or or whatever, that is just some, that's a, that's like a, a little bit of a microcosm of the situation. But if you can bring yourself to realize, oh, no, my prayer is actually much more effective if I am, uh, even if you're just seated and you're, you're, you're seated sort of straight up, feet planted on the floor, you know, and, and just, you know, it's not like a relaxed, you know, uh, lack the daisical position, but it's amazing how even your bodily position, your posture, all those things sort of do play into um, attentiveness to the meditation, or you know, attentiveness to what the Lord wants to say to you. Because I mean, if you're if you're laying back, you're in the same mode as you would be if you're watching the TV. You're in the same mode as you would be if you're about to go take your nap. Like, okay. Shouldn't we put ourselves in a literally, a physically different position for something that is not supposed to be a part of? It's supposed to bring us out of the world. That's a fact. You know, well, and this is an interesting thing too. Mm-hmm. And 
Because everyone will admit one size doesn't fit all. I mean, some people can't kneel. I mean, you get sure. older or you have an sure. injury or something and it's it's gotten beyond you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I know that Ignatius of Loyola always prayed on his back. Now, for most of us, that would be incredibly dangerous to our prayer. Uh, yep. The But for whatever reason, when he was flat on his back, and in, maybe, again, this is just me speculating wildly about Ignatius, but maybe it had to do with the fact that he was always, he was a very active guy, so he was always on the move and that sort of thing. So maybe he needed to be in a position of rest in order to really take himself out of his business to be with God. Um, so it's not per se entirely one size fits all, but there is a difference, brothers and sisters, between praying on your knees and praying sitting down or praying driving in your car, many different things. And you can't, it's, you can even pray on your back, but... The, but the point is, there should be certain times in your life, and frequently, where you take time and you're like, my position, my physical position has changed, and it mm-hmm. changes your mindset. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean the devil can't find you there either, but, but it, it does something different, and doing that, God appreciates. Mm-hmm. And this is something that actually uh, I just in a moment of recognition um, I read I read a few years back yeah. in the fullness of it um, Joseph Cardinal Ratzinger's The Spirit of Liturgy Pope uh-huh. Benedict the Sixteenth wrote this book and in a part of it he actually writes about posture in his section on liturgical form really and in the first one is kneeling and it's the uh, the Latin word for it is prostratio mm-hmm. so in the Latin tradition in the in the Roman Catholic tradition. Um, there's not like prostrations like the Greeks do, which is they literally get all the way completely down. Uh, we do that in the ordination. Right. Yeah. We do use that still, but our, our more common form is kneeling of doing that same thing. What it does to us interiorly is, is kneeling. So it's, it's given the same term prostratio. So he says, there are groups of no small influence who are trying to talk us out of kneeling. They say it doesn't suit our culture. Which culture? <laughs> it's <laughs> what culture? Yeah, right. <laughs> right. And it's not right for a grown man to do this. He should face God on his feet. Or again, it's not appropriate for a redeemed man since he has been set free by Christ and doesn't need to kneel anymore. If we look at history, we can see that the Greeks and Romans rejected kneeling. In view of the squabbling, uh, in, view, in view of the squabbling partisan deities described in mythology, this attitude was thoroughly justified. It was only too obvious that these gods were not God. Even if you were dependent on their capricious power and had to make sure that whenever possible you enjoyed their favor. And so they said that kneeling was unworthy of a free man, unsuitable for the culture of Greece, something the barbarians went in for. Plutarch and the and Theophrastus I don't know, whoever those pre- yeah, people are, Plutarch, at least, uh, regarded kneeling as an expression of superstition. Aristotle called it barbaric, uh, called it a barbaric form of behavior. Mm-hmm. Saint Augustine re- agreed with him in a certain respect. The false gods were only the masks of demons who subjected men to the worship of money and to self-seeking, thus making them servile and superstitious. He said that the humility of Christ and his love, which went as far as the cross, have freed us from these powers. We now kneel before that humility. The kneeling of Christians is not a form of enculturation into existing customs. It is quite the opposite, an expression of Christian culture, 
which, trans- which transforms the existing culture through a new and deeper knowledge and experience of God. Wow. Nietzsche, ugh, Nietzsche? That's not the right word. Kneeling. Oh, way off. Kneel, way, way off. Yeah. Kneeling does not come from any culture. It comes from the Bible and its knowledge of God. And then he goes on. But, but you can see that, like, kneeling is is in response to and an imitation of the humility of Christ. Mm-hmm. So, like, the reason, I mean, there there are many, many other reasons, of course, why even just that one posture in prayer means something different to us when we make use of it in, oh. in, in the prayer. Christ in the garden, where, how does he pray? Gets down on his knees, he prays. That's right. That's how he talks to God the Father. Yep. Position of humility. Right, exactly. Well, anyways, what else does Screwtape have to say? Well... What, what, was, what does he recommend so that we can do the opposite? <laughs> well, we're getting to that, I think. Um, he, I mean, all these things are on the order of... So I'm, I'm talking about like what he is talking about, but from the human perspective and not from the demonic perspective, maybe. So basically, these are the things that we struggle with, right? Right. Whereas they're trying to make us you know, do them because they think it's you know, the right thing for them to do. Right. It's so weird to talk about demons doing something right from They want you to lose. Yeah. And therefore, when you do what they want, you lose. Their perceived good is us losing. Mm-hmm. So, which is entirely the point. Okay. Um, we're going to move on a little bit here. Yeah. How long are these letters? Are they like six pages or something? They're not very long. One, two, three, like not even four pages. Cool. Just curious. Yeah, not too, too bad. Okay. Um, yes, so we talked a little bit about the feelings. Um, feelings. Well, it's, I mean, that's one of the things that happens here. Right. So he says, Screwtape says, when they meant to ask him for charity, let them instead start trying to manufacture charitable feelings for themselves <laughs> and not notice that this is what they are doing. When they are meant to pray for courage, let them really be trying to feel brave. When they say they are praying for forgiveness, let them be trying to feel forgiven. Teach them to estimate the value of each prayer by their success in producing the desired feeling, and never let them suspect how much success or failure of that kind depends on whether they are well or ill, fresh or tired at the moment. Mm-hmm. So, keeping us sort of, keeping all of this stuff sort of obfuscated in our minds, like it's very easy for us to sort of lean into, oh, I, I feel very loving, therefore I must have just you know grown in charity. Right. Well, actually. If we remember, sort of, and just come back out into the physical world, entering into charity is often painful. Yeah. In fact, it's most of the time kind of painful. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you might you might have some sort of uh, spiritual feeling of satisfaction as a result of that. Um, but, but initially, like the the first work of virtue is often suffering. Oh yeah. So, uh, if if not always suffering, there's always that danger of. I speak for myself, of being like, well, I don't feel like praying right now, you know, mm. as if I have to be comfortable or in the right mood or, you know, right. just ready, you know, in the zone kind of thing. And if I'm not there, then, you know what, now's not the time to talk to God. It's probably the best time to talk to God. It's probably what is, you need right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you make, is my favorite, one of my favorite lines, is you do more with an ounce of pain than you do with a pound of pleasure. Anyways, the... The prayers you say when you are struggling to feel God are have the greatest merit. Right. Because again, you are you are being humbled at right. that moment and mm-hmm. 
you are realizing just how little you are mm -hmm. and how much of this just depends on him. Right. So on the flip side, as much as it's like difficult to um, sort of uh, make use of, is not the right sort of term, but make use of our bodies in prayer and make use of our emotions in prayer and like actually enter into like an authentic place of prayer. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's as important to realize that these things, these things are supposed to work together. Like, when you are truly praying and praying well, like you will increase the virtue of patience, you will increase the virtue of fortitude because of it. Mm -hmm. But it has to be authentic. Right. You know what I mean? We are we are a body soul composite. Like you, there isn't anything that happens in prayer that doesn't affect you also physically. Interesting. It, yeah. it, it, I mean, sort mm -hmm. of in in especially in, in the perspective of virtue. We were just talking sure, about virtue. Sure, sure, sure. So I mean, how you act, how mm -hmm. you work. I mean, what things you do are changed by your relationship with with, with God, with, with God, and and He's the one doing. But you have to be available, mm -hmm. and you have to be trying to cooperate. The danger, as Screw Tape is pointing out, what he wants is for you to think that this is like self help. This yeah. is, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to talk to God now, and by that I mean I'm going to talk to myself, and by that I mean I'm just going to feel good for a couple hours or whatever, or I'm going to stir up courage somehow in myself on my own. Right. Yeah, I think um, so. One of our one of our listeners actually uh, asked us to do a little bit of a talk on on what yoga is and whether or not it's morally permissible and all that kind of stuff. That's an interesting question. I'm not prepared to go into it right now. Are you? No, I'm not really either. But I think it's okay. interesting that sort of at this point, one of the things that I think is most dangerous maybe about someone who gets too into yoga yeah. is that it becomes a replacement for prayer. Mm. It becomes, it becomes a, again, that sort of self-help thing, as if prayer were only self-help. Oh, yeah. You know, mm -hmm. like... Oh, it makes me feel really good. I think it must connect me to my more spiritual side. Oop, that's nope. You're going down the wrong way. <laughs> you know, I'm not saying. And, and I think on the order of uh, physical health, there are lots of people who who swear by you know doing their stretches before they go to bed and stuff like that, and stretching before they work out and all that kind of well, stuff. Well, you should stretch before you work out, right? <laughs> right. So you don't hurt yourself. But I'm but I'm just talking about like they they have like a regimen of particular stretches that that loosen themselves up, make them healthier, that's mm -hmm. fine. That's a real normal bodily need. Right. But as soon as it becomes, a, you know, some somehow associated with like some sort of psychological self-help or even... Spiritual connection to something else. Right. That's really dangerous. Mm -hmm. We were just talking about in, in Spirit of Liturgy how, uh, yeah, these postures of prayer are associated with things that were not gods. And... I think I can't remember who it was who was talking about it. Might even might even have been a Saint been Saint Paul, maybe mm -hmm. was saying like, "Oh, sure, they weren't really gods, but they were demons." Oh, somewhere in scripture it says, "Yeah, yeah. no, it does." The uh, you cannot eat from the table of demons. I think he says, and right. also partake from the table of the Lord, which is re in reference to, pa to pagan, pagan gods, deities. Yeah. yeah, pagan deities. So, so yeah, I mean, be careful which altar you're eating at. Mm -hmm. You know, well, that's true. <laughs> Super true. So yeah. Anyway, so screw tape still right. on the emotional crap. Speaking of the language, speaking of yeah, well, kinda. Um, speaking of uh, eating at the wrong altar, um, screw tape sort of leans into this other direction, in which he starts saying like, make your patient uh, be more concerned about some sort of composite object than he is about God. 
Oh, I love this example. Yeah. He talks about, I had one patient who thought he could see God in the, in the splotch in the corner of his ceiling. Yep. Right. Something like that. Or even, he even goes so far as to say, or the crucifix on the wall. Mm-hmm. Like, if I don't have that crucifix, I can't pray. Or if I don't have at least a crucifix, I can't pray. That's John or, the Cross. Is it? Well, he says, um, he said he had two two spiritual directees, St. John of the Cross did. Mm-hmm. And he said, I was I was helping deprive them of their, uh, of their connection to the world. And he said, mm-hmm. I took away, both of them had rosaries. And one had a really beautiful, like, precious metal rosary. And the other one had this, like, real, like, wooden, scrappy rosary that was, like, handmade or whatever. He says, the guy, I took the, the wealthy guy's rosary away, didn't bat an eye. He said, I took that other guy's rosary away, the one that was just a piece of knotted wood. He said, mm. guy hated it. Guy couldn't stand being away from it. He said, that was pride, because mm. that was the symbol of how humble he was, was, oh, I don't have a fancy rosary. All I have is this. He said, fine, give it to me. And he didn't want to part with it. Wow. So, but there it is, is like the material object becomes like the key to your relationship with God. Right. Exactly. Who is spirit, and, by the way. And, you know, my my big thing with this, I, I have such a leaning for, uh, <laughs> for for like beautiful places of worship. Sure. And and that's really great. But for... Most a, people do. Well, sure. But for a really long time, that was something that hampered my ability to actually just pray to the Lord in the Eucharist who was in the tabernacle. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. like, what? So I don't have a, I don't have a beautiful church, therefore I can't... Can't pray. Can't pray. Well, then... I must not be doing this right, you know? No. So that was something that was very clear to me. There it is. Um, yeah. That I needed to learn the hard way, and that's okay. But... Uh, well, it's okay if you learn. <laughs> no, it's okay to learn. It's okay to learn it. Like, you do have to go through the trial of it, and mm-hmm. and I think I think this is just something that comes with experience and prayer, but, like, you do have to go through that, you mm-hmm. know? So, so yeah, um, it can be really easy to be hooked down to things, even, even in the life of prayer, that are just, you know, very clearly fastened to the world in a certain perspective and that can make us um have a misdirected object of prayer like what are we really praying to are we are we praying to this beautiful building are we praying to the you know the lord of lords who dwells here within you know so that's that's kind of the direction he goes um one of the last things he sort of says i want to make sure i put this in here yeah yeah uh okay let me make sure i get the right part of it here um, yes. In avoiding this situation, this real nakedness of soul in prayer. So like he's talking about when someone finally gets to that, you know, like, you, like, like yeah. true unitive prayer. Contemplative and, and like, unitive, yeah. Right. Like away from all these distractions. Uh, he says, you will be helped by the fact that the humans themselves do not desire it as much as they suppose. <laughs> There's such a thing as getting more than they bargained for. And I was like, man, what about a punctuation mark on the chapter? Um, like, yeah, we, I think we, and that's, we might even be falling to this right now, just by even having the show, have this, have this be our topic for today. Like, what do you mean? Well, I mean, we probably don't desire it as much as we say we do. I mean, in our heart of hearts, maybe, maybe we do, maybe we've gotten that far, but, but it is sort of a funny thing to think about. Like, You're always and, your worst judge of character. But sure, the, sure. That's why you should have a spiritual director. Right. The, um, but there is that side of it, which is, I don't want to, I'm pretty comfortable with my life. Mm. I mean, maybe I want some things to change here or there, but I'm pretty comfortable with it overall. How much do you want to cooperate with what God's asking? Right. Because he asks for 
all of you. Mm -hmm. And when you start to like really hear that, it's like, well, maybe I really do like my gold crucifix, or maybe I really do like whatever it is, you know, praying for my lazy boy. And the... And God's like, I if you just get down on your knees, and again, I, it's different for everybody, but maybe if you just get down on your knees, it'll be different. Well, but I'm in my lazy boy. Yep. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yep. And so that, that last line isn't necessarily like a condemnation of anybody, but no. just, but it is just sort of a check and balance. Like, are we being serious about this? You know, mm-hmm. do we take those sort of inc- those inclinations in prayer to heart? And and make those changes when it's like, oh, you're praying, you're praying daytime prayer from your <laughs> from your recliner, and the Lord says, hey, maybe you should, maybe you should go kneel down in front of your crucifix, mm-hmm. and you just sort of dismiss it as like some sort of a, you know, a fanciful, uh, oh yeah, you know, inclination of the mind. You just finish out the prayer, and I don't have to prove anything to anybody. Go about your day. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm like well. I want to keep that in mind. You do. Maybe that was something that was actually telling you to do something important. Again, it. the deeper you go in prayer, it's very interesting, is is it doesn't mean that you don't ever struggle with prayer. Like, that's the thing, is like, you always want to, like, lock in your gains, or you want to have, you know, a for sure kind of thing. And, and that's never going to be the case. And in fact, you look at, I always return to the little flower. Like, honestly, the more I talk on this podcast, the more I realize how much he influences my spirituality. Right. But the, um, but near the end of her life, again, she lost all consolation, Hmm. all of it in prayer. And, and she kept praying anyways. Right. And that must have been just difficult as all get out to keep praying, even though whatever there was that it reassured her that this was God's will was gone now. Mm-hmm. And and while you're dying, too, of tuberculosis right. without anesthetic, mm. that's okay. You know, she couldn't pray on her knees at some point. <laughs> like, right. She just had to be in, in the sickbed at that point. Mm-hmm. Her to pr- to, for her to pray on her knees at that point would have been for her to pray while she's coughing up blood. blood. <laughs> and <laughs> the... Uh, but But there it is, is suddenly... Like, and she has that moment. What? Right? Where she's like rejoicing at some point that she didn't like get out of bed to check if she. Oh, that was, had, that was early on when it first started. On. That was yeah. first started. And she rejoiced in the suffering she was going to be given. Mm-hmm. And near the end of her life, like literally, they said 30 seconds right before she died, she went into ecstasy. And, and then she died. Um, That's crazy. She had, she had. They said about for about the space of uh, of the Nicene Creed. Hmm. Uh, I, I love how nuns mark time. Yep. Uh, she <laughs> she was in ecstasy, and then she died. That's crazy. The uh, and and if you see, talk about prayer changing your very physicality. If you see the photos, um, how which sister was it? Celine, I think, took of her after her death. She's gorgeous. Hmm. It's always striking. It reminds me a lot of like Bernadette's. Uh, incorrupt body. Hmm. It's, the little flower isn't incorrupt, but but like Bernadette is just absolutely stunning in her incorruptibility, and it's something that you don't see in her photos. And much the same, you know, 
the little flower is, is just is is luminous in in her death in a way that and she was pretty in her life, but in a way that that is is almost you're just like wow. Anyways, this is a woman who died of tuberculosis, huh? Mm-hmm. And she, the prayer, the prayer, the trust, the hanging on the cross. The uh, now there's a way to pray. The yeah yeah. Anyways, uh, on that happy note, yeah. It's very good. Um, so, I mean, a lot of this is kind of difficult to speak of, and I think it's because it really is, uh, we talk about the Holy Spirit praying for us with, you know, groans, gro- groanings and- unable to be spoken. Like, so to a certain degree, every conversation we're going to have about prayer, whether it be on this podcast or, you know, you hear in spiritual direction or, you know, a confession or something like that, or from the pulpit, like... It's not gonna encompass all of the aspects of prayer. There's so much of it that just needs to sort of be experienced. Oh yeah, like, holy smokes! I mean, we could talk for easily another two hours on on vocal prayer for crying out loud, and not even scratch the surface of how awesome that can be. Right. So, I mean, it's just. I mean, you want me to talk about the rosary? Because I can talk about the rosary. Sure. But but anyway, so this seems like a good place to stop right now since we finished the letter. And- <laughs> Right. So that's the fourth installment of the Screw Tape Letter series. Um, but uh, yeah, so we'll continue again with this. We'll come back to it in another few episodes. But um, yeah, thank you for the antithetical uh, writing there, Uncle Screw Tape, in a certain weird sense. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll thank C.S. Lewis rather than C.S. Lewis. Yeah. Let's not thank the demon. Uh, yeah. Demons. Yeah. I hope C.S. Lewis is with the Lord. Okay. May please go. Good. My friends, this has been the Day Useful Podcast with Deacon Dan and Father Stephen Felicia. And if you're just learning that now, you should really listen to the start of it. <laughs> Go back to episode one. Yeah, it's yeah. a bit play. I just meant the start of this episode. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's that. <laughs> Whatever. It's fine. Uh, okay, very good. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram and uh, pretty much anywhere you can listen to um, podcasts, everything from Apple Podcasts to Spotify to Google to Stitcher to all those kind of crazy things. So wherever you listen to us, keep listening. We uh, appreciate your um, listenership. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and if you can, give us a review, like and subscribe and all that kind of stuff. I don't know what is available on your apps. But uh, but yeah. Tell Thanks. us how much you've learned about the Madaval period. The Madaval period. Yeah, that's right, man. Yeah, let's 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 go. Okay, let's let's one last line from modern literature. This podcast really is like a Virginia Woolf novel. Uh. <laughs> Stream of consciousness. Then this happened. Then this happened. Then this happened. And then, anyway. Dave's fault.